What's up, everybody? Nick Finzer back. This is episode number 49 of the Ask Nick Show. It's been almost an entire year. Right around this time last year, we started the show. We're going to get one more before our first break ever, holiday break uh, from this show since last year. So thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. There's been a, this was an amazing Q&A with a lot of really great questions. Granted, a lot of them were former students or current students of mine that jumped on and wanted to talk about things uh, adjacent to music. And uh, so it was really exciting to talk a little bit about things that I'm listening to, uh, entrepreneurial skills that are missing, bands that I want to play with, music that inspires me, uh, things that, you know, when you're teaching, you're always trying to create a great environment for the students. And I don't often share what I'm into and stuff. And so it was cool to be able to share that with them. So this was a great Q&A. I hope you'll enjoy it. Check out the time codes down below if you want to skip ahead to any of the questions. Leave your comments in the comments below so that we can have questions for future episodes. And if you have any suggestions for changing up the format, because I'm already going to do that. I'm already thinking about changing the format uh, in 2021 uh, to be just a little varied, not just me talking to the camera, same angle every single week. Uh, but if you have suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Leave them down in the comments. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you in the next video. And a question from Gil Evans Project, he was giving me a hard time about starting a big band again. So who knows, maybe 2021 is the year uh, to do a big band project. I better start saving all my pennies though, because uh, big band projects are not cheap. That is for sure. Uh, especially if you do them like uh, Ryan Truesdale does. Go big or go home. That's what, he, that's, that's what they say, right? Hmm, what have I personally been getting into? Nothing in particular, Luke, to be honest. Um, I listen to mostly stuff to kind of keep up with what's happening. Um, things that have caught my attention, though, the new um, uh, 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 alto player and Joel Ross, the Vibes player, his new record is pretty, pretty great. And um, I'm blanking on his name. Omega is the name of the record. Um, alto saxophone player, Blue Note, Glasses long hair. I don't know why. Emmanuel Wilkins. <clears throat> His new record uh, is also really good. Those two I've been checking out. I tried to check out Go Go Penguin yesterday and it just doesn't really catch, doesn't really hit me um, super hard. So I don't know. Um, I've been using, uh, I've been re revisiting, I really like Bright Size Life, that, uh, Pat, that first Pat Metheny record with Jocko. Uh, I like it because um, I like it because there's so few, so little going on in terms of texture, and usually my music has so much texture that I like how empty it is. So you know, like tonally speaking, like it's not empty because there's a lot going on, but it's empty in the sense that there's not like constant harmony all the time. Um, so I've been listening to that again. Uh, that's just something I can listen to, and I also like how he plays original music. And he plays like free stuff, but you can't tell that it's free, and that's something I want to get back into. It's playing more open music. I haven't done it in a long time, but uh, it's on Blue Note. He's also on Joel Ross's record, so um, they kind of they go back and forth. Both those guys. Those guys are both uh, a little bit younger than me, 10 years younger, I guess. I guess I'm getting old. I don't think of myself as old yet, but it happens, I guess, pretty quick. But um, yeah, so in terms of what I'm listening to, that's a lot of what I'm listening to is usually just new stuff that's coming out and thinking about how that fits into the scheme of the overall music industry. And um, yeah, but I'd like to hear if anybody has suggestions of things that they've been listening to that they've been digging, I'd be 
interested to check out what you are listening to because I, yeah, I haven't found anything that I've really become super obsessed with lately. Um, I really like listening to Chick Corea's records. Those are always really great to listen to. Um, so, you know, some of those, some of those people. But yeah, that Emmanuel Wilkins, I feel like is a, a really great indication of things to come, you know, from him, because uh, it's, it sounds like the Kenny Garrett Quartet kind of, but like taken to like with modern, more kind of, I don't know, quote unquote, modern sensibilities, whatever that means. Any thoughts on the music of Stan Kenton and or Hank Levy? Hank Levy, I don't really check out, so I won't comment. But uh, Stan Kenton, um, there's a lot in the history of Stan Kenton's um, music that I, or in the in the history of him him as a person, that's kind of questionable. I don't know if it's true or not, or substantiated or not. But to me, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. There's a lot of question marks there, so I tend to um, avoid it. Uh, I liked it when I was in high school. I thought like I liked it because it was really heavy, heavily brass oriented. And obviously now I teach at UNT, uh, and there's a history of Stan Kenton's you know music being played at UNT and all of that. But um, I don't. I'm not a huge fan. I love Duke Ellington more. I think. Stan Kenton was an, you know, it was important in his time for what he brought to it, but uh, it's not my favorite music, especially now uh, with more context, but also just, you know, it's kind of loud all the time, which to me is not uh, always necessary, but it's a, it's a, it's a flavor and I'm glad that it exists, you know, um, but it's not my favorite. And it's uh, to me has a lot of ties to like kind of West Coast style. And uh, that's not necessarily always my, not West Coast in the sense of like Chet Baker, Stan Getz, but kind of a, like a modern West Coast style in terms of brass playing, maybe. Um, I don't know really how to describe it super well, but I don't know. It's connected to a, a, a history that I don't necessarily identify with super strongly. Uh, I'm more of like small, you know, a small group play changes, play, you know, J.J. Curtis slide kind of vibes. And I know like, slide wrote for Maynard Ferguson and all kinds of things but you know just preferences so that's my thoughts on Stan Kenton what's up DJ uh what do you think is missing from most young jazz trombone players playing in general hmm yeah well I always say that that's too it's very very kind of like age specific I guess um and part of it is I don't actually know that you can actually achieve this without experience and that's just like taste and experience and developing that sense of musicality like i think that that comes from playing gigs and playing with people and there's just like no way to get it without just living you know like without just playing a lot playing with people who you admire hearing how they deal with music hearing how they deal with different musical situations and then trying to take it and bring your own thing to it if that makes sense like i uh, like patience is a word that I would say like most young trombonists, but myself included, like lack patience, you know, in their music, um, taking the horn off the face, writing tunes that take a long time to develop. Um, and it flies in the face of everything that's in our instant 15 second clip culture. Um, so being able to live in both worlds, you know, I think sometimes, oftentimes to me, the big, another thing that's missing from young trombonists, while I don't think this is in the case for you in particular, DJ, because I do know you, but 
um, a lot of things that is, it's just context. Like, do they listen to jazz <laughs> for lack of a, like a different way to put it? Like I find a lot of people that audition for UNT send in for the BAC UNT jazz Ramon competition that they don't listen to jazz. So they don't have a con, they don't have enough context for what it's supposed to sound like. You know, it's kind of like for me, what's, what's missing in players. It goes in a circle because it's the same for me too. It, when I'm listening to my playing and trying to self-evaluate, it's a, it's a constant circle of, okay, this person needs more command of the language. Okay, this person needs to be more imaginative and sound look more themselves. Oh, this person's struggling technically to be able to, to play what they're hearing. You know, they've leveled up what they're hearing. And then it's like, okay, they get away from the root of the language. And then you're like, all right, this person needs more language or more harmony. And then, okay, they need more originality. Then, okay, they need more technique to execute. So to me, it's this constant move around this circle that is, um, I don't know, maybe it's not a circle. Maybe it's like a spiral, you know, going downward where it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter um, as you move down the, the levels. Because, you know, uh, you, have to, you have to upgrade your Lucas Pino tenor player in my band and I play in his band the no net no net always talks about you have to level up your concept and I can't think of a better way to put it than that uh, you have to level up your concept then you got to do everything in your power to re to catch up to your concept um, and that has to do with all those things I just described it could be on your instrument it could be in the language and history and it could be uh, developing your own voice and I think that developing your own voice, as you've heard me talk about before, comes naturally from selecting of the things that are you're passionate about and that you dive into deeply. Um, it, it naturally occurs. But at a certain point, there is some thought that has to go into it in terms of like what tunes you choose, in terms of what colors you choose to emphasize, in terms of what, um, like, do you do arrangements of tunes? Do you play them just as straight up standards? Do you you know, try to make things your own in terms of just like the presentation. Is that important to you? Is it not important to you? All of those little things add up um, because that was kind of the difference between, you know, um, we've been working on, I think that something that came about from listening to a lot of the entries from the competition from a couple of weeks ago was that the difference between the top couple of players that were invited to be in the finals and then the next, you know, group of players, it wasn't three, it was many, um, you know, was a, this developed sense of musicality and individual musicianship and a perspective. Um, you know, like we want to be as deep, at least for me, we, I want to be as deep into the history as I can. I want to be as deep into the foundations of the instrument, you know, all of that stuff, knowing the history, knowing tunes. But at the same time, like you have to have something to offer. And if you don't ever think about what it is that you want to offer, how are you going to ever have anything to offer? You have to think about it in some ways. Like, what are you going to say? What do you have to say? You know, or are you convinced that you just want to be a stylist in this music, which is totally cool because there's a lot of people that are fantastic stylists uh, of, of an instrument and are not necessarily looking to develop an artistic voice. And that's cool, too. But just knowing kind of what's happening. So I hope that helps. Uh, that's kind of my thoughts about it, but that's kind of that spiral down of those, um, those concepts. Band you've never played with but want to someday. A dream gig, if you will. Um, I mean, the Maria Schneider Band is still, orchestra, excuse me, is still a dream gig. I've played a little bit, but 
definitely not enough and definitely not to the point where I'd say I've played with them, you know, uh, finitely. Um, hmm, this is a good question. Oh, this is an obvious question. Sorry, I was for some reason I was thinking about big bands, but I've always wanted to play with Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea. Not together. <laughs> that might be too much, but I've always wanted to be in a small group like a quintet or something, sextet with, with Herbie Hancock, like his band, you know, and uh, or Dave Holland. I always I had a long I've told Jack this, but I had a long love affair with um, the Dave Holland Quintet with Chris Potter and Robin Eubanks and Steve Nelson and Billy Kilson, that that edition of the band just obsessed for years. And I always admired the, you know, the freeness which with which that they could improvise, but also how it was always playing together. And the tunes were so open yet very harmonically specific. Um, and the freedom to kind of move back and forth between those two things. And Robin is not afraid to play what he wants to play. I want to have that fearlessness, you know. I often can second guess myself too, you know. And uh, he plays with fearless, fearlessness that I really want to aspire to be like. So there's three. Dave Holland, um, Dave Holland, um, Trick Korea, Herbie Hancock would be three. You know, I've always wanted to actually play a gig with... Um, with uh, Carl Allen, drummer, because he um, was my he was running the Juilliard Jazz Program at the time that I was there, and I always thought it would be fun to actually play a gig with with him. I've played a little bit at jazz camp and things like that, but uh, there's a lot of people that I would be quote unquote fun to play with. But if I had to pick dream gig, those three would be three, and I better get on it because these guys are, uh, you know, not not the youngest chickens anymore or whatever. Is that the phrase? Spring chicken. Uh, so I better get on it, really. But um, I don't know. I really want to play in the Chick, Mc, Chick, Chick Christian McBride big band. I was close a couple times, but I couldn't couldn't make it work. We were supposed to play. Where were we supposed to play? In Houston or something last year, but didn't happen. Such is life. But yeah, those are a few. Um, I really every time every time I sit down to set goals. Jack, I'm always like, all right, I'm finally going to learn the Chick Corea songbook. And then uh, so that when the time comes, I'll be ready. And then I keep not doing it. Why? I don't know. I have some kind of a block there. So I'm going to have to deal with that. So maybe you can you can hold me accountable next semester uh, to uh, learning the Chick Corea songbook, at least what he's playing now. I know some stuff, but Armando's Rumba. There's a great recording of Armando's Rumba we did with um, Vincent Gardner, actually, from Jazz Trombone Day with the questions today nice same question but for musicians who are no longer with us oh for me that's super obvious duke ellington hands down and instantly uh he asked about uh what's a dream gig for musicians that are no longer with us i would say yeah duke ellington for sure uh michael brecker i always wanted to play that quindectet i know robin that was robin eubanks but if uh we could get the quindectet back together i would totally do that I've always wanted to do a project like that too of my own, but I don't know if trombone could like hack it in the front of that kind of like mixed, mixed ensemble like that. I'll have to get Gil Goldstein to write. But if you don't know the Quindectet record, I forget how many musicians, but strings and horns and uh, really great arrangements from Gil Goldstein. Duke Ellington, 100%. Uh, Michael Brecker. I mean, I guess Pat Metheny is still with us. He's another one I'd like to play with. These are all the because these are all the things that were like burning in my ears when I was in high school and at Eastman, like 
Pat Metheny, Joshua Redman, Brad Meldow, all these guys, like all of that crew, Christian McBride, those were like the cats. Any advice on overcoming nervousness before slash during a performance? Um, it's never been a huge issue for me. I used to get super duper duper super nervous. Like I used to sweat, my palms used to sweat and I would get super nervous and shake and stuff. But that was like middle school. And for me, the best therapy for that was just to perform more. The more you perform, the easier it gets. And then um, I've never done anything with beta blockers. I've never tried bananas. I've never uh, done anything breathing. I mean, more recently, I've gotten into breath work and just like as a mindfulness practice, but not when I was super nervous. But I still get nervous mostly when I'm playing for people that I'm afraid of, <laughs> meaning uh, people like, you know, higher up the food chain than myself in terms of like my vision of like a musical hierarchy that really doesn't exist. But, you know, like my heroes, basically. So like when I used to play jury, my juries at East, at Ju Juilliard, I would get super, super nervous. Um, I also get nervous usually playing at trombone festivals because everyone's a trombonist and they know when you screw up, right? But um, that's the hardest audience, right? Your colleagues and your your colleagues on your instrument because they know everything that's going on with you. Um, I uh, yeah, but so the the volume of performances and realizing that like no one performance is going to sink or swim you, sink or swim you. <laughs> it's gonna sink or swim your career you know what I mean like you're gonna it's it's all about like the journey and it's all about the long term it's not one concert you know I was very nervous when I played with um Jazz Lincoln Center I was very nervous when I played with Maria Schneider but what I like to think about when I get nervous is that's just me telling myself that I really want to do a good job you know it's okay what's up Jay Coop thanks for being here uh it's it's me saying it's my body and my brain saying do a good job Nick you really want to do a good job, you know, and I can I know that sometimes nervousness causes people to have other physical reactions that would make it impossible to um, do a good job. But for me, that's what I think about. And just keep on getting in front of people and playing. Just play, just play, just play, do a live stream. And because, you know, people are jumping on and off all the time. Someone's watching while you're doing a live stream, even if it's not a thousand people, you know, or a hundred people or 50 people, you know, there's there's a certain level of comfort that comes from speaking in front of people. Just do it. You just have to keep doing it. And uh, how I got over that was by just volunteering to go and give clinics to high school kids who I knew would not care who I was, what I was doing. They were just bored anyway. So I, I used to go and volunteer to do uh, master classes at high schools all over. So uh, well, mostly in, in Western New York, but um, just do stuff, Margaret. Just get in front of people, talk to people, put yourself in situations that are going to force you to... Um, uh, deal with those nerves, you know, that's all I can say, but everybody gets nervous. Just know that it's okay uh, Everyone it happens to many of us some people if they don't ever get nervous I would say that perhaps they are uh, Have some sort of thing happening with their brain Everybody gets nervous sometimes I think but uh, you can get over it by just for me just doing it do it Keep on getting in front of people what is your opinion on the Thad Mel Vanguard Jazz Orchestra? It's an incredible legacy. Uh, there's incredible music, um, great arrangements. Um, I don't know. It's great. Uh, I, I want to play in that band still. I never have gotten the chance yet, so that's one, another one on my list to get uh, the opportunity to play with. That would be great. But um, 
I think sometimes, you know, the biggest thing that I have a gripe with with that band, and it's not the band itself, is that Kendor published a bunch of charts that are not the original charts that people play all the time, um, which is just kind of silly. Like, you might as well just play the real arrangement. So that bothers me a little bit. But, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Brookmeyer's music and his arranging and uh, his phrasing, his like, compositional phrasing, and the Thad... Malband was kind of the birthplace of some of that experimentation for Bob. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it's a great band. Um, I wish that they could do more stuff. Um, they don't do that much outside of the Vanguard, but uh, it's been a while since I went to see them, but I used to go down and see them every once in a while, which was always cool. Um, but, but beyond that, I don't know that I have too much. Um, I don't know if I have too much of an opinion other than that. They're, then they're, they're a great legacy and the music is great. And um yeah, I mean, sometimes it just I like would rather people play the original arrangements, but stay motivated to practice has been very hard for me during the pandemic. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, I I think it's been hard for many many of us in terms of to stay motivated. I go in waves, you know, of being motivated to practice and then motivated to work on stuff with our business, outside of music, and stuff to work on in terms of content and arranging and writing and stuff. And um, it's for me just about getting into. A streak, you know, like I don't want to let myself down if I start start getting on a streak. So that sometimes works for me to get back into it. Um, if I haven't been, uh, sidebar, DJ asked, "Am I working on a Christmas video?" The answer is yes. It's coming out on Wednesday. Um, so sometimes getting into a streak, like this, is really you know unrelated almost, but like on on uh, during the pandemic, because I didn't want to go to the gym. I ordered a Peloton bike so I could get back to, you know, doing some sort of exercise. And so after I got like 30 classes, 60 classes, 90 classes, 100 classes in a row, days in a row, I mean, uh, like you don't want to stop because you don't want to stop that streak, you know. And that's what I used to say when I was um, in college at Eastman. I was like, man, I've practiced every day for like five years. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to at least warm up every day. I would bring my horn on vacation and everything. But um uh, so part, sometimes doing that helps. Like, I'm all right, I'm going to get on a streak. I just have to touch the horn every day, and then I want to play more and more and play more and play more. Obviously, having uh, gigs to work on, gig, gigs to work towards is helpful. Um, but even just creating your own system of, like, live streams or video recordings or content or practicing videos, any of that stuff will help you to get ready because you don't want to embarrass yourself, right? You want to show up and sound as good as you can. So you might start a collaboration with some people, start doing, like, a – Tremone Ensemble, multi-layered uh, video with your friends, anything. Give yourself, so those are the two things I would do. Give yourself, well, number one, permission that it's okay. And two, uh, find some way to start tracking what you're doing and like create a streak so you don't want to let yourself down. That's been helpful for me. And three, get like a project together. Start working on something. That's usually what gets me like to, to get really into practicing is like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this project. It's got to be something I'm really passionate about too. Cause this fall I started down the path to a number of projects and I ended up bailing. Cause I was like, I'm only doing this cause I think I should do it. And I don't care about doing this, you know? And I'm usually not that way. I usually will have an idea and I will follow all the way through it. But, um, even if it's a bad idea, unfortunately, that's one of my my weaknesses is that I don't recognize when things are bad ideas soon enough sometimes and I just follow them through even though I should have stopped a long time ago. But um, 
So, you know, it's okay. You got to have some, some, some on and again and off again. Chris says he calls it inspiration. I don't like to call it inspiration because inspiration means you're waiting for something. Uh, I like to think about having a practice, a daily practice, like you would get up and exercise, like you would um, drink coffee in the morning. You're going to practice. It's part of your daily thing. And it's just what you do. Uh, especially if you identify as a trombonist. If you are a trombonist, you play trombone. So that means every day you're going to get up and play that darn trombone. Or maybe it's four days a week, or maybe it's three days a week, you know, whatever it is. You get to decide. Nobody else gets to decide. But I don't really like that word inspiration because it it just, it leaves it up to chance. And I don't believe that uh, success in these artistic areas really comes from chance. Exactly. The functional musician is like to make it part of, a, part of your identity. That's what I agree uh, very similar mindset there. So talented and um, inspiration and yeah, things like that. I think it's really about a practice and hard showing up and giving, doing the work. It could be hard. It could be easy work. It doesn't have to be hard work all the time, but you're showing up and you're doing the thing over and over again. And some days you'll create some stuff that's awesome. And some days you're going to create some crap. You know, it's the same for me. I've written plenty of tunes that don't make it past my notebook, you know, or I've practiced many ideas that never go into my playing because I'm like, oh, it doesn't really sound anything, sound like anything. So I'll just leave that alone. Like I thought, oh, this is going to be the greatest idea or the greatest, you know, substitution or whatever, some stupid thing. Uh, and then uh, it's not. So just show up time and time again, do and, uh, and you'll you'll be more successful, I think, than thinking you've got to wait for inspiration. This is asking what I think about the piano. I think about I think the piano is the most important tool as a trombonist to develop a sense of harmony. And if you don't play piano and you want to be an improviser, uh, you should start playing piano because I can't think of too many jazz improvisers that I would put in high regards, excuse me, put in high regards that don't play piano. Um, almost all of them play piano and some of them even just as well as any jazz pianist. DJ posted on his story the other day a great record that I had uh, not forgotten about but kind of haven't listened to or thought about in a while. Um, ooh, what is it called? It's Bill Evans and Bob Rickmeyer playing duo piano. Um, ivory, Battle of the Ivories, Ivory something. It's got a big elephant on it. You can't, you can't forget it. But uh, um, that's a really important skill, you know. I mean, also he's an arranger, but still, like, that piano skill is super important. JJ played piano, you know, to do arranging. Steve Davis plays piano. Michael Deese plays piano. Elliot Mason plays a little piano. I have to play a little piano. Everyone plays a little bit, at least a little bit of piano, if not a lot of piano. So definitely uh, investigate. Now they've been teaching at the college level for a bit. What do you look for as a member of a hiring committee? Committee, what are things you look for in a colleague? Hmm. That's a good question, Jackson. Uh, let me, I'll put it up again so I can look at it for buy some time while I'm thinking about that. Um, well, in terms of, I don't think I can really speak for a committee and... Uh, I think everyone is different and every school is different, really, because some schools really put a lot of weight on wanting people that are going to write books and do research, whereas other schools put more emphasis on wanting performers and people that are going to be out there doing their thing. You know, UNT has a blend of both. Um, somewhere like Juilliard is mostly just performers, just as an example. Same with Eastman. Eastman has a blend of people as well. Uh, just, these are just places that I have experience with, you know. Um, FSU, where I taught for a little bit, was mostly, mm, I guess it was kind of half performers and half 
academics, you would say, you would call them. Um, so I think it depends what they're looking for and are they looking for an academic person or are they looking for a performer? Uh, I am very biased towards wanting people that are just great musicians, period. Um, and also they have to be good communicators because if you're a good communicator, then you can teach well. Um, if you're not a good communicator, I don't know how you would be able to effectively uh, teach well, you know, because you have to communicate information. So uh, even if maybe they don't have a lot of experience with teaching, I think if you're a good communicator, you can be a good teacher, um, especially teaching, you know, at the college level. I, there's countless great performers that are not good teachers. Um, I don't know. I, I would say that my opinions on this topic probably don't reflect the majority. You know, like I'm going to say, like, I want... I want someone that to play with, you know, like I want somebody that um, is going to obviously be able to teach and inspire the students. Like that means they're going to have to be playing at a high level to me, you know, but that doesn't mean that they're what the university wants, you know. Uh, so it depends. And uh, you want somebody that's reliable. You want somebody that's going to want to be there, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, we're in kind of a funny situation where it's going to be really hard for a few years i think for younger musicians to get the experience they needed to like supplant the doctorate requirement for example but especially if you don't live in new york or la and are able to get those big name credits you know um and it depends on what type of university you're talking about and what's important to the university so i don't know that i have a great answer for you jackson um those are some things to think about um, if you want to end up in a college job and you want the biggest opportunity to be hired, having a DMA or a um, PhD is definitely going to help you. You know, it's a, it's a, it's rarefied to find somebody that is a great writer, can teach D, DMA or PhD level students because they also have one, um, and is, is like a dedicated performer as well that plays on the highest level. Uh, to find all of that together would be like that would give you in an in in a lot of places, but um, it tends to not be the case all the time um, because the greatest performers don't end up with the degrees. The greatest the people that just get degrees don't get the big name credits. They don't go to a city where they want to um, will develop more as an artist because they get a job right away or end up in different places. So they don't take the path that's going to allow them for so. You got to work backwards from where you want to get to, Jackson, and um, figure out what's important to you, you know. And uh, but if you want to teach college, it's a pretty good idea to have a DMA or a PhD. However, I don't have one, so I went the route of getting professional experience, and then that's what I wanted to do. And I don't necessarily agree that we should have to have PhDs or DMAs in music, but it's not really up to me, you know. Uh, even if I'm on a hiring committee, it's not. It's not up to me. It's up to um, what the committee, but then it's really up to the deans. And then even beyond the deans, it's up to the provost of the university. So, you know, it's it's beyond any one person's control, which is what it is. Uh, Chris asks, what degree do you get? Did I get? I have a bachelor's in jazz and contemporary media from the Eastman School of Music, and I have a master's in jazz trombone from Juilliard. That's what I have. Two degrees both in performance. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend 
that that's the best path for every single person, but that's the path that I took because I was a stubborn young man. Any advice on how to start using the plunger? I've been wanting to get started with it, but don't know how to start. Yes, transcribe some stuff uh, with the plunger. So you gotta think, I like to always think of the plunger as an extension of your jaw. It's a separate jaw making vowel sounds. Al Gray has a book where he talks about positions of the plunger. You could check out Al Gray's book about positions of the plunger. He's talking about open horn plunger. I like to use Pixie and Plunger Mute together. Um, so with Steve Trey, he has a very great way of doing doing this and talking about it. I did not learn Pixie Mute and Plunger this way, but he has a great way of talking about different vowel sounds and developing the vowel sounds all separately first and then combining them into musical situations, which is uh, something that we do at school and I do with my students. So figuring out the vowel sounds, uh, but the way that I learned how to do it was by transcribing. So Wycliffe Gordon was one of my first, first jazz teachers and he obviously is amazing at the plunger. So I would just, I was trying to copy him from listening to his records first, but then um, even before that, I, um, he told me after starting to, to study with him to, to check out Lawrence Brown playing Sweet and Pungent from this Blues in Orbit record, which is a lesser known Ellington record. And he plays a feature, slow blues with the plunger. Ellington's barely playing, so you can really hear all the vowel sounds and you can transcribe them, you know? Um, so what I do is transcribe, I would transcribe the notes and then I would transcribe the vowel sounds and I would mark the vowel sounds on the page. And then I did a bunch of Wycliffe Gordon transcriptions. Uh, so to get started with the plunger, Think about the vowel sounds. If you go wah 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 wah, you're gonna drive people nuts. So you got to think about the vowel sound. You've got wah, you've got ow, you've got ah, you've got oo, you've got duwa, you've got dwa, you got how. There's a lot of sounds. So listen to great players playing. Write down the vowel sounds you that you hear, and then figure out how to do it. The biggest thing I usually have to help students with is making sure one that you're my plunger is down here. That you get the plunger over the hole, the center of your bell hole. <laughs> you know, put it right in front. Make sure it's not totally tight against, but it's somewhere in between. And then you've got to make sure that you're getting open enough. People don't get open enough on their plunger. That's another problem. All right. So that's plunger. Good question. Go to DJ's question. What's the biggest entrepreneurial skill or habit that you see young musicians lacking? Um, this is a good question. What is the number one skill? Um, usually that they think they should wait until they're done with being at school before they start uh, or that they don't have anything to offer yet. Like I'm not developed enough yet or I don't have enough experience yet or something like that. Some thought in that realm or like I'm not ready to start a venture yet, or I'm not ready to make my record yet, or I'm I'm not, I don't have the credentials to do this yet. That is the biggest thing. That that resistance to starting, um, because because if you wait, man, it's like you're you're gonna just be starting from scratch. Right now, you have if you're in school, for example, if you have access to people, you have access to rehearsal space, you have maybe not so much right now with the pandemic, but theoretically, you know, you have people that can play your music and you can bring them to ensembles and all this kind of stuff and really start to develop like, what the heck am I going to do after I get done? You know, um, because yes, like 
as a trombonist, do you like want to be hired and be a great employee? I was just reading a great post by Alex Isles. He was talking about this entrepreneurship stuff. And he was saying that he didn't think that it was necessarily as important as some schools wanted to say it is, which could be true. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with his points. It's in the Jazz Trombonists Facebook group, I think. Um, but if you don't know Alex, he's an amazing West Coast uh, trombonist in L.A., uh, film, jazz, everything. And um, he was talking about it, and he was talking about um, just that it's not as important because you're mostly an employee. That's what, sorry, that's circling back, that you're getting told what to do, play somebody else's music, execute it well, et cetera, et cetera. And I obviously, like, that's a part of being a musician, being a jazz trombonist. Being a trombonist is executing that as an employee. But, I mean, I really think you have to be doing your own thing if you want to have ever break out and really build your own career. You can't rely on other people to do it for you. Uh, it's my opinion, you know? So that means having a professional corner of the internet, you know? Starting to build your audience, focusing on what you can bring to the table, even if you don't feel like you're ready. You know, there's always somebody you can connect with that's like one rung on the experience ladder less than you, you know? I started doing that when I was in high school, I would teach elementary school kids. And then in college, I would teach high school kids. And now as whatever, I teach college. So there's always one step down, right? So, but me, I would still look up to the generation older than me and think I would want to take lessons with them. And then also older than them, you know? So it's like, it's just like an experience ladder and there's always something to share. That's what I think. Um, so don't wait, get started. Um, if you have an idea, try some stuff because you're only going to learn from doing, you know, that's my problem with entrepreneurship classes in general is that they teach you about thinking about brainstorming ideas, creating a business plan, but, 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 but what do you actually need to do? You need to make the thing. You need to do the thing. You need to put it out there, see if it works, see if you like doing it, see if you like creating that, if you like being your own boss, if you want, or you'd rather not, you know? Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing is the lack of like hunger. It doesn't feel like anybody's hungry most of the time. Sometimes you can tell that a younger student is like, let's go, let's go, come on, let's go. I wanna do this, I wanna do this. But sometimes it's just like, okay, you know, we'll just go through the motions, get ready for our recital. And then when I get into the real world, then I'll, you know, I'll play some gigs and hopefully this will happen. And it's like, to me, that doesn't make any sense because you, it's like, People are going to pass you by. Somebody like me, who is very much like, I'm going to do this and this is this, they're going to kind of, whew, maybe they're younger than you and they're going to pass you by because you did just sat there and were waiting for something to happen. So, um, you know, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be as into that side of it as I am. That's for sure. That's something that's just innate in, in me. So I don't think, I don't think anybody, anybody should do everything, but you should decide on something that you do want to do. Because I don't think that you can just play anymore. I wish. I want to just play, but I can't just play. Uh, so, you know, life is, things are, you know, reality is reality. So I try to, I try to exist in a, in a realm of reality. So I hope that helps. So just get started, man. Just go. Whatever your idea is, just go and do it. So I hope that helps. But So happy holidays to everybody. And uh, thanks for being here. And we will be back before you know it. Take care.